grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good afternoon, everybody. How's everybody doing? I hope you're doing well. I am. Um, we're waiting for our guests to come into the green room. But in the meantime, I'm going to introduce myself. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I am also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We're 45 strong up and down the state, which means we can get to you. It might take us a little extra time because California is a big state, but we will get to you, honest. So the way to contact me would be based via my Facebook page, my personal Facebook page, or California Haunts Ghostly Events, or you can contact me at California Haunts here or California Haunts Radio, or you can get me over at TikTok at California Haunts, all lowercase, um, Instagram, Ghosty Gal, all lowercase. You can get to me also on Twitter at Cal Haunts. See, we're everywhere, everywhere, and California Haunts Radio on YouTube. And that address would be youtube.com forward slash ampersand California Haunts Radio. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We have a great show for you lined up today. Um, she confirmed yesterday, so we're just waiting. So I just want to talk with you guys a little bit. I just got back from a week vacation in Southern California, Disneyland, all that stuff. It was a blast. Shot some really cool footage that I'm going to be working on here to make a compilation for you guys. So it's nice and clean. And also, um, you're going to see some weird things going on with the show because obviously I wasn't able to set up my guests last week like I normally do. So you're going to get some shows where, where you know where we have a live guest, and some shows are going to either be me reading or uh, like 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 we did last week, best of shows. And uh, that's that'll be that, you know that's going to be in about it'll take about week week and a half before I start getting back in the flow and 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 then you know things start adding up enough to have consistent guests. Because normally I'm working every night, you know, getting guests for you guys and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, anyway, I'll still give her a few more minutes. And uh, I've got the email open just in case she needs to get a hold of me. If not, then we'll just read today since I'm already on the air. But anyway, I was gone for a week and uh, got behind on my bookings. So uh, I'm going to be working hard to get these bookings up again and rolling for you guys. Uh, so far, I've got a couple people I got two, a couple people coming on this week that are going to be very interesting to hear. And uh, it was an interesting trip. We also, um, my, 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 my benefactor, <laughs> my friend that went with me was, is also sensitive and she, um, actually felt stuff at Disneyland and she felt stuff in play. I never told her the stories about the different haunted locations at Disneyland. And, um, this is where she felt stuff. I mean, there's a story of a little boy who had died and his mother had his ashes and she wanted to, uh, leave the ashes on the haunted house on the haunted mansion ride. Of course, Disneyland said, no, you can't do that. She did it anyway. And, uh, there you are. I see you. There she is. I see her. She's waving. Anyway, I'll finish the story and then we'll get on with today. Anyway. So she did it anyway, without telling the Disney people. And of course they found out there's cameras everywhere at Disneyland. You, you know, you, you, you can't sneeze about somebody's thing. And so they saw, and I guess they went in vacuumed up whatever they could clean, clean it up. But his ghost is seen on the Haunted Mansion ride itself, you know, and, and sometimes they'll see him riding the, uh, the, uh, what, the, the, the Doom mobiles and things like that. But he also haunts the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. People have seen him on there. So uh, the Haunted Mansion was closed when we were there. But my friend and I <laughs> were, 
we're on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride and we get off and she says, that was weird. And I said, what was weird? She says, I felt a real light energy sitting right between us during the ride. And I didn't say anything to her at all, right, about it. So I guess she felt the little boy. So he, I guess he was on the ride with us. So that's kind of cool. Kind of cool. Okay. Without further ado, I'm going to tell a story here. I was about probably 12 or 13, maybe younger, when uh, we visited England, my family and I. And uh, we went through quite a few castles, quite a few haunted castles. And back then, uh, you know, being young and a, and a kid, you have abilities, you know, because the abilities go away later. Well, they either stay with you or they go away later in life because the other things interest you and whatnot. So I had these abilities and I remember going into these castles and I would feel like I was being followed. And I would tell my, I would tell my mother this and my mother would go, oh, no, 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 you're just being silly. You're just being silly. And I, would, and I would say, no, I feel like I'm being followed around in these different places in England. And, you know, when, when I was over in London and stuff. And I've, since then, I always did a lot of research on the ghosts over there. Constant, constant research. My cousins over there send me information. You know, I've got relatives that live, uh, the, 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 that live in London, near London and Croydon and, and some other places. And, and, and they're always sending me information. So my guest tonight is going to talk today is going to be talking about ghosts and she's written these books wrote like like maps on where these ghosts are and stuff so let me bring her in i'm not going to embarrass embarrass her by saying the wrong thing so i'm gonna let her tell me okay here we go good morning good morning how are you i'm really well how are you i'm good i'm good i'm good tell me about you uh so my name is ruth roper wild and I'm an author who writes about the paranormal. Uh, so I first became interested in it when I was a kid, funnily enough, hearing you talk about when you were a child. Mm -hmm. um, but my reason was slightly different. We moved, uh, I must have been about 12, maybe 13, something like that. And we moved uh, to a different part of the country here in the UK in uh, an old village called Wellin in the county of Hertfordshire, which is just about 50 miles north of London. Mm -hmm. And the house that we moved into had a very active poltergeist. Um, it was only in later years that I learned that's what the term for it was and so on. All we knew at that time, at that age, was that there was something weird about the house and weird things would happen. Um, so we'd have all sorts of uh, strange occurrences. We'd hear strange noises, loud bangs and crashes in the middle of the night with nothing to explain it. Um, items would move. And there was a little bit of the typical, um, you know, you put something down, you turn around, it, it, it's moved. And you think, was that me? Did I put it somewhere? Am I getting forgetful? But ours was actually a lot more direct than that as well, where it would just quite happily move things in front of you. Um, so one particular occasion that I remember that I often talk about, I was in the uh, kitchen at tea time with my mum and helping her to clear up the tea things. And there was a tea towel scrunched up on the side, um, you know, a, a cloth for drying the uh, crockery as you finished washing it. Mm -hmm. And uh, we caught it moving out the corner of our eyes. So we both sort of turned to look and watched as it flattened itself out carefully and then folded itself once one way, once the other way, and then once again the first way to form a neat little square on the side. While my mother and I just stood there and watched it with our mouths open. <laughs> okay. Wow. 
that's not what tea towels normally do when you chuck them on the side. Sadly, it'd be quite good if they did. At least they're um, helpful. Yes. Well, yeah, at least it was helpful. Um, other times it was really, really frightening. It would do, you know, really scary things. But it it made me really interested in what on earth was going on. My mother was a very practical type of woman. She'd actually been a radio engineer in the uh, RAF the British Air Force when she was growing, you know, when she was young before she got married and had children. Mm -hmm. um, so she had a really analytical mind. She didn't get scared by that sort of thing. She would just look for an explanation. And I think I must have inherited that from her. So I started, I'm going to give my age away now. I started going to the library, trying to pick up as many books as I could on ghosts, the paranormal, um, because this was way before the days of the internet. And much to my disappointment, all I could find was ghost stories mm -hmm. about the the old British castles, our old churches, graveyards, you know. But these were all stories from hundreds of years ago, or, or the ghost was from hundreds of years ago. There wasn't anything about people living in a perfectly ordinary house mm -hmm. like I was, um, you know, experiencing things happening. And it made me want to find stories about things that people experience themselves. So I started a collecting a database um i must only have been about 16 or 17 at the time uh and i just kept on going with that for the rest of my adult life i you know whenever i found a story about a haunting that was happening sort of within my lifetime it would catch my eye and i'd add it to my database and i'd got this sort of faint idea that it would be really interesting if you could find correlations mm -hmm. You know, if you found more than one story from the same place at, at different time periods and from different people. So eventually, of course, time chunters on and, and I get older and older and older. <laughs> and when I get to my early 50s, I was able, to, very fortunately, to take the chance of partial early retirement. So that left me with a few days a week uh, to my own devices. And I thought, great, I can actually do something with my database now. So uh, I started writing the books that I kind of always wanted to be able to read myself, which mm -hmm. is books that tell people's own experiences, preferably in their own words, wherever possible, without any embellishment, mm -hmm. without any attempt to explain or categorize what they're seeing or feeling or hearing, but just reporting. These are the facts. This is what real live people are living with day in, day out or come across once in their lifetime, whatever it might be, and this is what's happening. Um, so that was in 2017 that I produced my first one, and I'm now uh, researching for book number seven. So I've been going like the clappers ever since. <laughs> wow. And, and, and I know over there your, your haunted history over there is very rich history. I mean, it's everywhere. So how do you collect the information for your books? I I have my massive databases and if you can imagine I've you know I've been filling these up for 30 years right, more. Right. Um so I I've got a source story that I found somewhere or other at some point in time. And then what I do is I go out on social media um and ask for has anybody else experienced something in whichever location it is I'm researching on that particular day. Mm -hmm. And I'm always very careful not to say what it's supposed to be haunted by. Because what I want to do is get people's own experiences. And that way, it's really interesting to see that some locations have 
four or five people will get in touch with me, but they've each experienced something different there. And then other locations, four or five people get in touch with me, but they've all experienced something very similar, mm-hmm. but maybe decades apart in right. the same location. So they don't know each other. These aren't people that have ever met or published their story. It's, you know, it's never been told before. So for me, that's absolutely fascinating that they're experiencing something very similar to this, something that happened 10 years ago to another person that I've spoken to. Um, and, and that's really how I go about And, and also shows like this are absolutely great because I always say, please, please write to me with your own accounts. Um, you know, so, you know, any chance I get really to talk with people to say, tell me about your ghosts. <laughs> well, in your, I want to say studies because obviously you've been studying this stuff and putting these databases together. What have you seen as is like a common thread in, in, in the ghosts over in the UK? Well, it's hard to pull out a common thread, actually, because the stories are as varied as the people who talk about them. Um, I had I had always got a hope that the data that I'm collecting, if you like, and that I'm putting down on paper for posterity would lead somebody much more clever than I am. Um, and, you know, with a much better scientific mind, et cetera, than I am, to be able to answer once and for all, you know, the age old question, what is a ghost? What is happening? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I'm actually finding is I think there's more than one thing happening. I don't think one explanation, you know, it isn't a case of one size fits all. Mm-hmm. So I think there's, there's, if you like, there's various different threads. So I think... Some of the data I've got points to, um, you know, a haunting is really a personal thing for some individuals where they've got a relative whatever that seems to be in contact with them or trying to be in contact. Others seem to be much more the just a residual echo of something that, you know, happened before, you know, that just kind of goes on. Others seem to be really mischievous. um, deliberately interacting kind of haunts which is kind of the one I lived with um and I guess the 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 most common thread if I was going to pick one common thread it'd be there is an awful lot of ghosts in England who like to chuck themselves out on the road in front of cars (laughs) quite why I do not know but I have got dozens of stories of people having something step out in front of the road you know in front of their car as they're driving down the road day or night they don't seem to be picky, um, but, you know, they'll step out in front of a car and then disappear. Um, so that that does seem to be quite a common one. <laughs> I've never heard of that over in England. I'm learning something new today. <laughs> I mean, we get those, but not like, like, like if you're talking, it's real frequent over there. We don't get those as frequently as you do. No, we really do. <laughs> Some bits of road seem to have it, you know, almost weekly. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Do you think a lot of it is because of the history over there? I mean, we, we have history, but our history doesn't go nearly as far back, obviously, you know, nearly as far back as the history over there does. So you think a lot of it has to do with, with imprints on the land, you know, from, from, from the different battles and everything. I think that must have a lot to do with it, truthfully. Um, I mean, you know, I was looking at um, a particular haunting today mm-hmm. and the, the property that it's in, Parts of that property go back to 686 AD. You know, so that's, I'm not very good at math. So what's that? 13, 
coming on 1400 years ago, that kind of time, so, you know, 1300 years, whatever. That's a lot further back than, uh, you know, humans in American history trace right. as much, isn't exactly. it? Yeah. And certainly not to have a building of that age or anything. Um, and, you know, some of the buildings that we, we just routinely take for granted over here, if you actually look up their history, a lot of them are at least three or four hundred years old. Right. I mean, my own house that I'm sitting in that's considered a modern house is 102 years old. Um, you know, and this is considered quite a modern house. People would drive past it and not think anything of it. Right. Um, so, so yeah, we do live in a completely, you know, steeped in history landscape. We've got, you know, all the stone circles and, um, I mean, obviously Stonehenge is the right, most right. obvious one, but we've got a load of stone circles. That's not the only one. Um, I mean, the one nearest to me is the Rollwright Stones, about 30 miles away or so. Um and I mean, they go back to Stone Age, you know, so prehistoric times. And like you say, all the skirmishes, all the anguish, all the love stories that must have happened in all those thousands and thousands of years, I think do leave an imprint. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that is a, an element of it. So, yeah, a lot of history to pull on. Still haven't found a dinosaur ghost, mind you, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> unless, unless Loch Ness Monster could possibly That's be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when you were saying all that, I was just thinking because when America, when the United States was established, of course it was you guys <laughs> that came over here. And that's, I mean, we're looking at, because right now I'm, I'm, I'm reading the book on the Salem Witch Trials. So, you know, we're looking at what, maybe 1500, the year 1500, 1600, that, around in there before the War for Independence and all that. Yeah, and you're right. We don't go back that far. It's it's amazing to even go back as far as the 1600s here. You know, yeah. everything is so young compared to the history you have over there. And then there's the stories of the Roman of the Romans on the road, like you, like you talk about the road ghosts. You know, the legions of Romans that people will see. You know, I don't know if it's in, in England, but you know, like over in Rome and stuff, where they where they see them crossing the road, or they yeah, see we, them walking through a wall, and, and it's legions of Roman soldiers and stuff. Yeah, we do get Roman soldiers, ghosts. Um, We've actually got one of the entries in one of my books from the, you know, thinking from the top of my head is on a, um, it was quite an interesting one to research actually, because the legend is that it's got Roman ghosts marching along it. And it's called Nine Mile Ride, this piece of road. It's down in Berkshire, um, which is one of the counties in England. Mm -hmm. uh, and like I say, it's supposed to have a phalanx of um Roman centurions that march along it so I, I did my usual going out on social media and starting to research it and one of the first things I discovered was that there was no way that could be Roman ghosts that were marching along Nine Mile Ride okay. because Nine Mile Ride was only created in the 1700s um, and it was created as part of the royal forests at the time um, and it was one of the main sort of driveways through the forest for the King's Forest for his hunting parties and it was just called nine mile ride but just maybe four miles or so south of it and running completely parallel to it there is the remains of a roman road um and i think what's happened over time is people have mistaken 
the stories of seeing the Roman centurions mm -hmm. from the Roman road and, and kind of moved the story to Nine Mile Ride because Nine Mile Ride sounds more historical somehow and it's a dead straight piece of road. And what they don't realise is the ancient Roman road that is now just a trackway is about three or four miles south of that. Mm -hmm. And the only thing the two things have in common is that both of them originate from the same point. And that point was a, a, an Iron Age hill fort. But it's quite likely that it was also used as a Roman way station for marching because they quite often used old features to, you know, right. pass overnight out or whatever. So it's quite possible Roman soldiers will have stayed at the, you know, used the Iron Age hill fort as an overnight um, staging station sort of thing. Um, and then carried on down the Roman road that they were making. So it's quite funny how we can, we can shift our ghosts around. Exactly, exactly. The other thing I was just thinking too is when I was over in England back then, I'm not going to say how old I am, but yeah, okay. Let's just say it was a while back. And back then, you know, here in the United States with ghosts, we didn't think about our ghosts the way you think about them over there because, you know, like, like you guys embrace that whole ghost history. And at that time, you really did. We're over here. Nobody did that. And now we're just starting to get to where we embrace it. You know, okay, we have ghosts. It's cool. It's fine. But for the longest time, it wasn't like that. I remember how odd I thought. And I thought it was funny because, you know, you go over there and we're Henry VIII's castle, you know, one of his castles. And, oh, yes, there's a ghost here, blah, 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 blah. It, it's just unique, the different attitudes between, you know, how, how you look at your haunted stuff and we look at our own stuff. Yeah, I guess that's probably true because we're so used to it just being a part of our culture. Mm -hmm. um, and I think actually if you move around the British Isles, it changes even as you move around the British Isles because we've got Scotland, England and Wales, a mm -hmm. part of Great Britain, obviously. And I often find that I struggle to get people to answer me in Scotland and Wales. Um, and when I sort of try and delve into a why, why don't they like engaging about it? It's because to their... They're so used because they're, you know, hit, history goes even further back right. sort of thing. Um, and, they, you know, they've still got a lot of the Celtic culture and what have you, Gaelic culture. Mm -hmm. That to them, it's it, me asking about ghosts is is about as interesting as me asking, what did you have for breakfast today? Right. So, well, why are you interested in that? Everybody's had breakfast. Everybody's yeah. got a ghost. You know? <laughs> yeah. We live with it every day. You know, why, why is that interesting? So, I, th I you, know, you know, I think you're right. It does have a lot of bearing in how cultures see it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Now, you live, you said your house is over 100 years old. Do you have anything in your house that you live currently? Um, I think we did have when we first moved in. We've lived here... Um, about 24 years now I think mm -hmm. um, and we just had a few odd things happened when we first moved in the house itself before I bought it was owned by a builder mm -hmm. who'd only owned it about two years or so not very long because he'd bought it as a burnt out wreck and had then done it up to flip it and sell it on um, and it had stood derelict as a burnt out wreck for um I don't know, at least 10, maybe 15 years, something like that. And the previous owner had died in, in the fire uh -huh. that, that burned the house out. Um, so when I moved into the house, I actually moved in just before I met my husband. Um, I bought the house on my own. And the first night that I was about to stay here, one of the neighbours, because I, I was just moving from one part of the village to another part of the village, 
one of the neighbours said, oh, what are you doing down this end of the village, Ruth? I said, oh, I've just bought this house. I'm moving in. You know, it's, oh, you're moving into the haunted house. It's like, <laughs> oh, don't tell me I've got a ghost here. I said, oh, yeah, we often see the old man looking out of the window. Um, you know, the old man that died in the fire. Sure. Now, I've never, ever seen anything, never, ever felt a presence. But there was one particular night when my husband and I came in from the pub and we were having a blazing round like couples sometimes do. And as we walked down the hallway, my husband was ahead of me and our lounge is off to the right, which is where the fire started originally. And it was determined that it was started by the old man falling asleep while smoking a cigarette. And as he walked past the lounge, he threw his cigarette packet and lighter into the lounge in a bit of a temper. We carried on through to the kitchen, put the kettle on, calmed down and went to have a cigarette. He went to retrieve his cigarettes because he and I smoked a different brand at that time. Neither of us smoked now, but back then we did. Right. Went into the lounge. These cigarettes were nowhere to be found. Could not find them anywhere. So in the end, he had to smoke one of mine. And of course, the next day I searched everywhere for them. And for the next couple of days, couldn't find them. Could not find where this packet of cigarettes had gone. And then about six or eight months later, we walked into, again, from the pub one evening. And there was the packet of cigarettes sitting on the so arm of the sofa with the lighter neatly on top. Wow. And, and we knew it was the same packet of cigarettes because that week that we'd had the row, it so happened that he'd bought some uh, off-duty ones. Mm -hmm. And so they had the different label on. And that was the only time he'd ever been able to get any of those off-duty ones. So, And this packet that was sitting on the sofa arm had the label on. So we knew it was that same packet that had gone missing months earlier and now we're suddenly sitting on the arm of the sofa. And I often wondered about that because the chap was supposed to have died, you know, because of cigarette smoking uh -huh. and whether because we walked in yelling, it kind of stirred something up, if you know what I mean. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. But other than that, thank God it's quiet. <laughs> and well, none of them yeah. followed me home yet. <laughs> he, must like you. he must like you guys, you know, because a lot of the time, <laughs> The reason why you have problems when you move into a house like that is you start making changes. They don't like it, you know. And, and, and... Well, it can be. Yeah. I've, you know, I've got quite a few where activity seems to ramp up because there's been changes at the home. Mm -hmm. And th that does seem to be quite a common denominator as to what starts activity. Um, now, there's a lot of uh, there's, there's a lot of sad tales. I mean, we have some, too, up in our gold country and stuff. What's one of the um, more heartbreaking tales that, that, that you have heard? In your studies um it depends whether you're talking about individuals mm -hmm. or the sort of more famous ghosts um so if we, if we start with the most famous ghosts sure. uh, i think Anne Boleyn, i always think is is a very sorry tale um her ghost she was one of the eight wives of king henry the eighth mm -hmm. you know the very famous uh married divorced beheaded etc rhyme that goes with that Anne Boleyn was one of the ones that was beheaded and her ghost is supposed to haunt in at least seven or eight different locations around the UK um, so she's supposed to haunt her childhood home um, the home she was living at um, you know ancestral home when she met the king uh, the palace that she lived at the king with the palace that the king proposed to her at and of course the place where she you know lost her life and so on so she's there's all sorts of places she's supposed to haunt um 
but I always think she's quite a tragic figure because she was only 16 or 17 when the king married her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was kind of shoved in front of him as, uh, you know, he was known to be a bit of a lech and he wanted an heir really badly and his first wife had failed to produce a male heir for him. And it was really the ambition of her father that put her in his sights. Um, and he married her and she didn't manage to produce the male heir. So within a very short time span, um, he had her beheaded and moved on to the next one to try and get this male heir. But in that very short time span, he'd completely changed the face of UK history forever mm-hmm. because the church wouldn't let him marry her, Catholic church, because he was already married mm-hmm. and divorce wasn't allowed. So in order to make divorce allowable, he changed the church of England was created and we moved, we broke away from the Catholic church and it became the, um, you know, the, the religion that you had to follow was the church of England. And it meant that all the monasteries and uh, abbot houses and so on were all seized by the crown and monks and nuns were literally chucked out on the street Um like I say, completely changed the course of history, all for this poor young lass who, you know, was sort of wed up to this much older man by her ambitious father. Within a very short, I think it was about two or three years, if that, that they were together before he had her beheaded. And before beheading her, in order to make it legal that he was going to behead his own queen, um, he accused her of being a traitor um, and said that she'd, you know, had... Uh, relations with her brother and various male courtiers and there's no evidence that that was ever true you know historical evidence so it looks like this poor girl had 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 quite a you know run around what you know one version of history it's it's hard to tell because it's so far back and historians are divided about whether she was a little minx with her own political Mm -hmm. agenda or whether she was a pawn of her father's political agenda but either way she definitely had a very tragic life um, so I always think her ghost is really sad um, that that's around. But I think um, I think the one that tugged my heart the most for people's personal stories, and it was a very simple little tale, actually, um, and actually quite a funny one, but it, it it's one that just shows, you know, if people are still around. Um, and it was sent in to me by a reader, and he, he was explaining to me that his grandmother had uh, passed away some years ago and she had loved him very dearly they'd had a very close relationship and they were always sort of pulling pranks on each other um years had passed he was now living with his girlfriend um but they'd gone to at this particular point in their lives they were living back in the house that had been his grandparents house um And he and his girlfriend were in the habit of getting up every Sunday morning and cooking a cooked breakfast as a treat. Uh, And they kind of, like we all do, got into a right routine about how they did it. You know, who cooked what part of the meal. They shared the chore. They'd have the radio on. It, it It was a real highlight of their week to spend some quality time together as a couple. Um, And they always cooked exactly the same breakfast which involved five sausages. Um, She'd have two sausages. He'd have three sausages, along with obviously the rest of the cooked breakfast. Um, 
and this particular morning she was cooking the sausages as usual um and he said it was almost like a dance the two of them around the kitchen you know as they moved around each other each cooking different elements of the breakfast and when the sausages were ready she turned around he'd put he'd already put a plate ready to receive them on the table she turned around and tipped them out on the table he turned around to put the other elements of the food down they went to serve it went to sit down and he suddenly says you've only cooked four sausages and she was like no i've done five he said there's only four sausages on the plate but i've cooked five so they're both staring at this plate of four sausages i think well one must still be in the pan no one perhaps it rolled off the plate so they're checking under the table is it somehow rolled off the plate or something could not see this fourth fifth sausage so he's grumbling at her well you'll have to just have one sausage or she was you know you'll have to just have two sausages never mind and he, he turns around to get the cups of tea off the side she turns around to sort of pull the chairs out they both turn back there's five sausages back on the plate when a moment before there had definitely only been four sausages and he says the only thing thinking back over it he can remember staring at that plate with the four sausages on and thinking it looked like there was four sausages and then a blur. And to this day, he feels like his grandmother was in the kitchen and was holding her hand over the fifth sausage as a ghost, if you like. Right. And, and was therefore kind of hiding it from him, you know. That's very cool. That is <laughs> Isn't very, that sweet? <laughs> that is sweet. That is, that, that is very, very cool. Yeah, I never even thought about that. That's kind of close to watching that time I cook. Good lord, good lord. So you, so 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 you amass these stories, and obviously you you do research on them, like like you know going back to to the Roman road thing. How time consuming is is it to go back and do all this research so so that you can write these books? You wouldn't believe how much time it takes. Um, I mean, I've now I've I'm still partially retired, so I still work a real job two days a week. Uh, originally, I was three days a week, but I dropped it down to two to make more time for the books, um, which gives you an idea of how much time it takes. Because if if you could imagine, one of the entries in one of my books is maybe half a page to a page long about a particular story by the time you know a particular ghost, whatever. That will I worked out once that that will take me anything up to about ten hours to create that one bit because you know you've, you've got to find the original story then look up the history of the place then look up the history of the building or the road or whatever it is you know wherever the location is then i tend to go and look at it on google maps um so that i can visualize for myself what the person is talking about then i have to go out on social media wait for all those answers collate all the answers right. um you know answer all the people and the funny thing is that normally, you know, if I go out saying I was anybody seen a, a ghost in this particular church or whatever, I might get, say, 30 answers back, mm -hmm. of which five might be about the ghost I'm asking about. Five will usually be some complete idiots making silly comments about ghosts. And the other 20 are people saying, well, I haven't seen that ghost, but I've seen a ghost somewhere else. So then I've got to add those other 20 to my database. Right. <laughs> <laughs> ready to look into later on so it's kind of like this thing that keeps just growing and growing and growing <laughs> so i think i'm going to be like painting the fourth bridge we call it in england um there's a particularly big bridge in uh the north of england called the fourth bridge 
and the you know the story goes that once you start painting one end by the time you get to the other end the, the first end needs painting again so you know it's the the saying is it's like painting the fourth bridge you'll never finish absolutely um, and i think now, that's that's the situation well, i'm in <laughs> the other question i have with this along that line now when you look back in history at these stories do you see like like like, like you were saying about changes and and how the stories go as you look at these things you know you go back you get the original account or try to find the original accounts of these things do you find that the more modern we get that the stories kind of get switched around or absolutely definitely yeah and i think there's there's definitely a different way in which we tell stories now compared to historically so um an example of how they get switched around uh i had a particular source story um it was down in south devon and everywhere i found this story i found it in several books and newspaper clippings all mentioned this one particular village in south devon and the piece of road outside it and they mentioned a pub that was along this piece of road and they all cited the, the ghost as being a particular i think it was the figure of a a woman with long hair if i remember rightly when i actually started to try and research that and looked at the village and looked at the road that's fine that was all there but nowhere could i find this pub that they were all referencing so i started to think well has the pub been demolished changed into something else that often happens but after a while it took me quite a while to figure it out i eventually found out that there was another village in north devon about 80 miles away that had the same name and that village had the pub and it was that stretch of road that had the ghost so all these other publications had got the location wrong and when you then went to the right village and asked people about the ghost along the road outside this pub you got loads of answers and so that's why all the other publications have got one sighting of this ghost because whoever first picked that up cited the wrong village and then everybody else has just endless, endlessly repeated that um but if you pick up the right village you get the right road name and the right and the pub on it and then you've got the right ghost um but in terms of the different way we tell ghost stories i mean this is one of the things that i got fed up with when i was a kid looking for answers in the victorian times um and even you know right into the probably 1950s 1960s in in the uk people writing ghost stories or writing about ghosts they were very fanciful stories really and there may well have been a kernel of truth in them about the actual haunting but all of them ended up being there was something moralistic about the tale and they all found the you know if, if it was a, a weeping woman or whatever was supposed to be the ghost they all found that the person seeing the ghost would then wake up two days later and happen to have a conversation with the shopkeeper who would tell them that it was the bride who died in the room they were staying in or and the and the story always got neatly tied back round into a sort of nice little tight story with a bow on it you know right whereas the reality that we get now when we tell stories now is we just tell it as it is you know we don't try and make up an ending to tie it all into a neat little package um, so I think that has changed for the better, I think. <laughs> well, 
Why do you think people like ghost stories? Well, <laughs> do you know, the, the funniest thing about that is I meet a lot of people who are utterly fascinated by it. Um, like myself, just live and breathe, you know, the interest in the paranormal. And I meet a lot of people who when they, you know, you get chatting to them and they ask what you do and you say, I'm an author or what do you write about? Or I write about ghosts. Oh, I don't believe in ghosts. Um, but I would lay money on the statistic that out of those, I bet 95% of them end that sentence with, mind you, there was that one time when. And I think one of the reasons we love ghost stories so much is that endless curiosity that the human mind has got. Plus, I always think we like to be scared a bit. <laughs> I think there is an element of that. We all do like to be scared a bit. But it's curiosity, isn't it? It's curiosity about the world around us. And for so many people who research the paranormal, there's a saying that the more you look into the paranormal, the more people look back at you. Um, and I think that's true to an extent. Uh, but I think what's more true is the more you look into it, the more you learn to look carefully around yourself. Uh -huh. And then you start to spot the anomalies more um, because you're watching more carefully. I've got so many stories in my books of people who were interacting with a ghost and did not realise they were interacting with a ghost right up until the moment when something totally weird happened. Um, and that begs the question of how many times does that happen and people stop the interaction before they get to the weird bit so they never realise it was the ghost that they were dealing with. And if I give you an example of that, um, one reader told me they were driving home late at night from a shift. Um, it was about two o'clock in the morning and they were in Wales driving along a piece of road. Uh, it was winter time. It was quite cold. And they suddenly noticed walking along the road towards them, on you know, on the pavement on the side of the road, a young girl, you know, late teens, early 20s, sort of young, dressed in quite flimsy clothing, like she'd been to a club or out clubbing or whatever. But she wasn't wearing a coat or a cardigan or anything. So she just got this like very strappy, you know, flimsy clothing on. And he kind of glanced at her and thought, isn't she cold wearing that? And then the thought kind of came, actually, is she all right walking along on her own at two o'clock in the morning? Is something wrong? Why hasn't she got a coat on? And he was just debating with himself, should I stop and see if she needs help? But there again, she's a woman on her own. It's two o'clock in the morning and I'm a man alone in a car. Will she feel that's more threatening if I stop than if I don't? What should I do? And he's kind of having this debate with himself. And therefore, he's watching her as she walks. And as he watches her, she turns into the gateway of the cemetery she was walking next to. And at that point, he realised she had no legs. So where he'd been looking at her, his if she'd been wearing something more, if she'd had a coat on, he would have mm -hmm. just thought, oh, there's a lady walking at two o'clock in the morning. And would never have thought beyond that because he'd never right. have noticed that the last bit of her legs were missing. It was only because he was watching her and worrying about her and thinking, should I stop and try and help? That he suddenly realised that, you know, that the last bit of her legs were missing and she was actually floating along. Um, and it's that kind of thing that makes you realise that a lot of the time people might not even realise that they're seeing a ghost. Uh -huh. Makes sense. 
Now, scary. With, with, <laughs> it is. With you writing this stuff and compiling it, do you have visitors? I mean, you must. They must come to visit you every once in a while because you've got so, so much of this stuff. So far, and I'm going to touch wood while I say this, they haven't come to the house. Okay. And as far as I'm concerned, they can stay out of the house. Thank you. <laughs> I go ghost hunting. I don't want them coming Ruth hunting. Right, right, um, right. But having said that, there is one particular ghost where, um, well, apparition, I should say. Uh, there's a road just north of where I live. It's only about <clears throat> maybe seven miles away or so. Mm -hmm. And somebody brought to my attention because he had heard that I wrote books about ghosts, that he'd heard of a ghost along this particular bit of road. So I added it to my database, started researching it in the normal way, and very quickly got three or four other people that had experienced it. And then my own husband, who doesn't believe in ghosts at all, said, I've seen that figure along that road late at night. I just thought it was an ordinary bloke. Huh. Um, so, of course, I got very fascinated by this, about how many times it's been seen in recent years. And it so happened that I needed to drive along this road every fortnight late at night. Mm -hmm. um, so for a whole year, as I drove along this road late, late at fortnight, uh, every fortnight late at night, I would slow down at the, the bit where the ghost is meant to be seen, turn my music off and, and avidly look for the ghost. One particular night, I've done this as usual, no sign of the ghost, carried on through the next village and out of the next village as you come out of the next village the road ahead of you is pretty straight so as you've got the main beam of the car on you can see right to the end of the main beam if you know what i mean but just out of that village there's my friend's farm is on the right hand side and at that particular moment in time they were having trouble with people breaking into the farm so every time any of us drove past it at night we'd just turn and look and make sure everything was okay so I turned my head to look at the farm. Yep, everything's okay. Turned back to look at the road. Nothing ahead of me on the road. As you pass his farm, there's then a turning on the right going somewhere else. As I got level with that turning, all of a sudden the figure was right there by my car. Wow. Literally right by my car. Um, and he was facing away from me and he had his shoulders hunched and his head bowed down. So I never saw his face. Um, but he was clearly right there mm -hmm. uh, because obviously I'm traveling forward and, and right. he's standing still. So I whizzed past him quite quickly, if you imagine. And I kind of whip my head round to see him as I drive past him. And I see myself, uh, see him as I drive past him. Then I look in the mirror to see him gone. So yeah. as soon as, as soon as he'd gone past me, he, he disappeared. Or as soon as I'd gone past him, I should say, he disappeared. Um, and I've been too scared to drive along that road on my own ever since. <laughs> don't blame you. Don't blame you. <laughs> um, as a journalist and a ghost hunter on the side, I used to get all the assignments having to do with ghosts. Yeah. You know, and it's a weird feeling like, like you've experienced ghostly activity in your house. So you know what, it, what that feeling is when, when they're there. And yeah. when you go in and you're trying, just like what you're doing, you're, you're trying to get the facts straight. You know, you're, you got your notepad or whatever, recorder. And you're trying to get, okay, this is here's this wall over here where this thing's been seen. And that feeling of being watched when you go into a, 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 a haunted location, what's that like for you, especially the, over there? Do you know, you can really tell 
when you walk into somewhere if it's got an atmosphere. Um, and it might be that it's got an atmosphere sometimes and not other times, but some places have an atmosphere all the time. Um, so two examples of that, just properties near where I live. There's a particular farmhouse not far from where I live that every time I drove past it, I got a really bad feeling about it, really bad. And then one day I drove past it and there was a for sale sign outside. And then very quickly over the next couple of months, it obviously got sold. The new owner raised it to the ground and built a posh new farmhouse with big posh gates and walls and everything in its place. And of course, every time I drove past, I was kind of looking at this thing, oh, good, I'm, I'm quite glad they've demolished that because it had such a bad feeling about it. Mm -hmm. And eventually, you know, quite quickly, the new house was built and a big posh house looked really nice. And, and at first I drive past it and that horrible feeling had gone. But then the years started to tick by and the new house started to get a bit weathered looking, you know, time's passing. And the more it weathered, the more it seems to look like the original house. Mm -hmm. And the more that feeling is coming back. So now when I drive past, I find myself averting my eyes slightly because it feels uncomfortable on the landscape. So I definitely get that sort of feeling about places. Um, but then conversely, there's another. We've actually got a, a ruined um, one of the British great houses, but a ruined one very mm -hmm. close to us called Houghton House. And they think it was the inspiration for House Beautiful in the John Bunyan Pilgrim's progress books uh -huh. um, and it was built in i think the 1700s 16 or 1700s was in use for about 80 or 90 years 100 years not very long for a stately home and then it fell into disrepair and you know quickly fell into ruin so all that's left standing today is some walls um and some bits of window corbeling and and a couple of pillars but it's an absolutely beautiful location. It stands quite high on a hill overlooking a view. And I quite often go up there with my dogs, or dog now. And it's known to have um, shadow figures seen at it. And I can pretty much tell now the days when I'm likely to be able to see the shadow figures compared to the days when I'm not. Because as soon as you walk up, the atmosphere is different. So some days you walk up and it's, you know, whether it's windy or raining or snowing or sunny or whatever it is, because, you know, I'm dog walking, you've got to go out in all weathers. The atmosphere will be perfectly just normal. It's just whatever the weather is. And then other days you walk up and even though the weather might be doing whatever the weather's doing, the house feels very still and very calm. Even if it's blowing a gale or raining, the house feels different. And on those days, I know that if I walk back up its long driveway and then turn around and watch, so I'm, I'm looking at it down its long driveway, if I wait long enough, I'll see the shadow figures start to move about. Um, and, and so that one definitely, you know, it, its atmosphere changes when something's going to happen. I've had experiences like that myself. Um, where I used to work for a newspaper was right next to this opera house that's the, that, that certified haunted. And uh, there were stories of somebody before their, I don't know why there was a door there, but somebody had walked out this door on the second floor and fell, and fell to their death. And so I, I would get off work at like 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night, right? And I'd be walking out. And, I, and my attention was always drawn up to that, that particular window. 
and I always found myself running to my car. No reason. Yeah. Just, just just the thought that I don't want to be out here. I don't like something staring down at me. I don't want to be out here. You know, so I, I, I would find myself running to my car. And it's, it's not a very comfortable feeling. You know, no, even I... though there's not supposed to be anything in it that's negative, still, you still get that feeling that something's watching you. It's funny because... I mean, I do quite a lot of ghost hunting. You know, I, I go out investigating places myself a lot, or as much as I can. And mostly, I don't get scared at all. Um, you know, if something happens, I'm the one that goes straight back into that room sure. in the dark on my own and waits for it to happen again so as I can document it. Mm -hmm. But that figure on the roadside that I, I just told you about, there was something about that figure, even though he was facing away from me, so I couldn't even see his face. So I couldn't say, you know, that he had an expression or anything. Right. There was just something about it that left me too frightened to want to see it again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and that, that is just a feeling and I can't explain. But interestingly, because I've, like I said, I was doing the research, you know, as normal for that piece of road. Two mm -hmm. people have said to me, I've never seen anything, but that road, I've always thought of that road as really creepy with a horrible feeling. And one of the one of the people who actually saw it, their account said she and her husband saw it at three o'clock in the morning. They'd actually had to leave home to, to go and catch an early flight. So they were leaving at, you know, three o'clock in the morning to, to set off. And they saw him then. And he was facing towards the car when they saw him. And they both thought he was a real person. And they had continued to think he was a real person until they saw me asking about a ghost along that road. And it was only then that she wrote to me and said, you know what, I'm beginning to wonder if what we saw wasn't in fact a real person. Because the one thing that's always puzzled both me and my husband about it is he's sure the man had a beard. I'm sure the man didn't. He oh. said, but both of us, he had to swerve the car to avoid hitting him because the figure was standing in the road when they oh. saw him. Three o'clock in the morning. It's quite an old gentleman, the figure. Uh -huh. This road is quite isolated, quite rural. There's no way you'd be walking along it normally. Just no way. And especially not at three o'clock in the morning. Uh -huh. um, so both of them, as they swerved round him and carried on, what on earth is that person standing in the middle of the road for? We better go back and check. Maybe his car's broken down. Maybe his car's gone in the ditch. Maybe he's an old man with dementia who's wandered off. You know, uh -huh. what, what, what could it be? What could it be? And they drove along discussing whether or not to go back and why he would be standing in the road, but uh -huh. still not turning the car around and going back. And they got further and further and further away. Um, and in the end, she says, we justified to ourselves that we weren't going to turn around and go and see if he needed help because it right. might be one of those scams where one person waits in the road and then when you pull up, the others jump out of the hedge and rob you. Right. She said, deep down, we knew that wasn't true, even though we kind of used it as our reason not to do it. Mm -hmm. Because why on earth would somebody stand out at three o'clock in the morning on a road that hardly anybody ever drives down in order to jump out and rob them? You'd be stood there for four or five hours right. <laughs> before right. a car right. came. It doesn't make right. any sense. Um, right. And it was only when she saw my post and wrote to me and I then wrote back to her and said what other people had been seeing. She said, I, I, "That's uh, it, it was then. It was a ghost that we saw. So, yeah. Well, when you talk about 
you seeing it as something different than your husband sees it at, it comes down to work like, like even for journalism school, police school and all that. You know, when you're sitting in a big room and you've got like 12 other people with you and all of a sudden somebody runs through the room. Yeah. And then, all right, tell me what you saw. And then everybody doesn't have the same appearance that they saw. And yeah. I think it's just for us to see things differently in, in, in a staff like that. And it's really interesting. There's a lot of studies about exactly that kind of scenario. How if you, if you as the interviewer asking the 12 people in the room, what did they see? If you say to them, did you see a man wearing a black hoodie? Mm-hmm. They'll change their story to, oh, yeah, I think he was wearing a black hoodie. So it's very easy to influence memory. Yes. Which is why, obviously, you know, in police interviews and things, they separate people as quickly as they can in order to get the uncontaminated story, don't they? And I think that's one of the reasons why the paranormal is so hard to pin down Mm -hmm. because it's difficult enough if you interview people immediately after it happens. Right. But quite often I'm interviewing people a decade after it's happened or two decades after it's happened. Right. Right. And there's been plenty of time for their memory to shift and warp slightly, hasn't there? Plus, like you say, there's also... The person who was with them might not have seen it, might you know, might have seen something different. I've got so many accounts where, especially the ghosts that jump out in front of cars, that I was mentioning earlier, quite often there's two people in the car mm-hmm. and one will see the, the, the figure step out and scream stop or if it's the driver, do the emergency stop. And the other mm-hmm. person is like, what on earth are you doing? Right. <laughs> what are you doing? There's nothing there. Um. But then on other occasions, people see exactly the same thing. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's it, it, there clearly is more at work than just a replay or just, if there's such a word, a spirit walk. Because if it was just a spirit walking in front of people, then everybody would see it, wouldn't they? There must be something about the connection between viewer and object being viewed. Right. That right. changes. So, yeah, this honestly, this is why it's fascinated forever. Or one person is more sensitive than the other person, you know, sitting in the vehicle. Yeah. I've had that happen where somebody says, hey, there's a fog coming towards the car. And I'm like, I don't see it. I don't care. And I'm scared to death. I don't know why. You know, I don't see it. I don't care. I'm driving. Leave the fog there. I don't care. You know, I don't want to see it. Yeah. Yeah. So you wrote these books and you, you, you kind of made like, a, I'm looking at your last book. I'm going to flash this up here real quick. Let's see what it is. There we go. Yay. Rose. Okay. Tell me about this book. So I wrote the original, you'll see that this one says volume two. Yes. I wrote the original Roadmap of British Ghosts, which just is called the Roadmap of British Ghosts. <laughs> no volume to it. Because I intended that first one to be the definitive work on the ghosts that haunt British roads currently. Uh-huh. <sighs> Silly fool that I was. Um, so I wrote the book, emptied my database uh, into it, you know, was all chuffed with it. Whilst I was researching for it and going out, you know, asking for people, I had that that thing happening where people say i haven't seen a a ghost where you're asking but i've seen a ghost somewhere else Mm -hmm. uh so my other database was filling up nicely of ghosts in people's houses or buildings or what have you 
So the next book I wrote was called, after the first roadmap, was called These Haunted Times, Volume 1. And whilst I was writing out to people you know, on social media saying, loads of people writing back with Blooming Road Ghosts. And I was checking back to my book, the road. I, thought, I haven't got that one. And I haven't got that one. Oh, no. And now somebody's given me another one on that one. <laughs> um, and before you knew it, I had enough to make uh, volume two. Um, so from now on, I am never writing a book that isn't called volume one, if I change the title of anything, <laughs> because it's obviously <laughs> going to happen. That there's going to have to be a volume two. Um, so this, this is, uh, you know, having written the roadmap, the original, right. this is ones that uh, the Roadmap of British Ghost Volume 2 is ones where people have written to me and said, but I have seen something along such and such a road. And then I've gone out and uh, done my usual research on that road and, and found other correlations. And some of the stories have got some brilliant correlations now where I found more than one witness, you know, sometimes, you know, quite close together, sometimes decades apart. Um, but it, but yeah, it's it's the thickest of my books yet. Um, so I apologise for the fact that it is slightly more expensive than the others. But I just couldn't bear to take any of the stories out because they were so good. So sorry. <laughs> so does this allow people to take your book now? Now now that now they can go driving through the countryside and find these different roads. Absolutely. Um, so it's laid out county by county. Both of them uh -huh. are, both the original roadmap and this one. So if, for example, you were visiting Britain and you were going to be staying in Oxfordshire, for sake of argument, you just need to open to the Oxfordshire chapter and it'll tell you which roads are haunted um, and what by and who, you know, how many times it's been seen and so on. And it means you can literally, if you're a ghost hunter, with all of my books, actually, you can literally use them as works of reference, if you like, to help you when you go out ghost hunting. Right. Um, and, and, and like I say, because it's laid out county by county and it gives the road and, and exactly where on the road. Um, and in a lot of cases, as I was explaining earlier, I've actually cleared up exactly where on exactly what road it is supposed to happen. Because the other thing I find is that people you know people take the story from a source they find and they don't think to check and update it they just repeat it and the road names have changed since or the road number you know there's been extra roads built in the area or whatever um whereas in my books i do check is the road still called the a6 or whatever you know at that point or is it now the b374 or whatever so people can actually find the location um, and even as time goes on and my books get themselves get older, um, at least the fact that I, I show that it was called the A6 and then was called sure. the B370, whatever it might be, should enable an investigator to locate which bit I'm actually talking about. Um, so, yeah, they're all designed to make it so you can pin down the location. I tell you, I'm going to use these books the next time I go to England. Well, if you get a chance to, yeah, really do, because... Um, I honestly, I take so much time over making sure I've pinned down the right location mm -hmm. that if you go to the location, you know that's where whatever it was was actually supposed to have happened. And an example of that is in Devon. Um, loads of people, loads of sources will tell you, you know, if you look it up, will say that the ghost of Blackerton Bridge is haunted. Will you try finding Blackerton Bridge on a modern map? 
yeah. it isn't on any modern maps it isn't even known locally as black blackerton bridge anymore and the the blackerton brook has numerous bridges over it so you know road bridges so any of them could be called blackerton bridge and it took me hours of researching to find a map from i think it was from the 1700s which showed where they thought the battle that had happened in the 1600s happened to be near Blackerton Bridge. And that map showed where Blackerton Bridge used to be. And it by overlaying that map on current road maps, I was able to pinpoint which road bridge it is today um, that is actually haunted. So it's things like that that otherwise you just wouldn't know. It'd be, you know, a 12-mile stretch of road and the ghost could be anywhere in those 12 miles. But if you look at my books, I'll tell you exactly where it is. In fact, one of the locations, I've even given the grid reference. Because <laughs> somebody was able to give me the grid reference for that one. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Let's talk a little bit before you go about your about, about your personal ghost hunting. How does that compare to the stories that, that, that you're amassing? Um, well, I mean, you, as a ghost hunter, I'm sure you'll have found the same if you've gone ghost hunting. A lot of your own personal ghost stories are, I went to such and such and nothing happened. <laughs> right. um, you know, you have to have endless patience if you're going to be a ghost hunter. Um, because some nights it will happen and some nights it won't. Right. But, you know, some of the places I've been to, there's been, a, you know, a very clear reaction or, or a very clear something has happened. Um, and one example of that is one of the things I like to do, because, because my books have shown me that hauntings do not just happen at night people that is a myth they happen all day all evening all morning through the night whenever they feel like it so there's no particular need to go haunting you know ghost hunting in the middle of the night other than the advantage of that is that the place is much quieter so therefore you've got you know less sort of pollution of other sound and other people and so on but it's perfectly valid to go ghost hunting in the broad daylight so if I want to go ghost hunting to a certain location and bear in mind, my husband isn't you know, particularly into ghost hunting or the paranormal. The best way to do it is to arrange a Sunday picnic, um, go out for a nice drive somewhere with hubby. Um, and we've got one dog now. One had died, but it used to be our two dogs um, to one of these locations and have a nice picnic and a nice Sunday out whilst I ghost hunt the place. Um, and one such location we did, was in Northamptonshire and is a, ruined very very ancient church um and it's actually built over what they think was probably originally a pagan site because there's a natural spring comes out under the church and even today the stone is still there with the natural spring still running um it's a fascinating place uh and we'd gone along there one sunday with our picnic and the two dogs this is a few few years back Really hot Sunday afternoon, big thunderstorms floating around slowly. Um, so it was one of those days where it, it was sort of oppressive and hot, but every now and again you'd get a thunderstorm come over. As we pulled up outside the location, um, it looked like one of these thunderstorms was about to let loose over us. So Hubby said, should we sit in the car and eat our rolls for a minute? And then when it passes over, we'll go and walk around. Yeah, good idea. So we sat in the car, we've rolled the windows down because it's not yet raining and it's quite hot. Um, and the husband says to me, so 
what what's this one supposed to be haunted by? So I said, oh, it's meant to have ghost of a highwayman uh, and the sound of children playing. So he's busy saying to me, why do we have so many ghostly highwaymen in the UK? We can't possibly have had that many highwaymen in real life, you know, and they all get to end up to be ghosts. And I'm busy answering that when the sound of children playing floats through the car. Wow. And, we, <laughs> and this church is literally in the middle of nowhere. There's no buildings. There's no houses. The church is ruined. There was no one, no one else present. And the sound of children's laughter and, and voices floated through the car. And we both just stopped talking and looked at each other and kind of went, well, where did that come from? <laughs> Couldn't find an explanation for it. So, Julie, we finished eating our sandwiches. The storm went on its way. So we got out the car, got the dogs out, went into the churchyard, which at that time was really overgrown with brambles and stinging nettles with just a little walkway mown round it so you could just walk round the ruins. So we thought, well, nobody's going to mind. This is so unkempt, you know, it's not like it's people's current gravestones or anything. So we, we'll let the dogs off the lead so they can play. Now we've got uh, two, one, like I say, one side now, but two big Belgian Malinois dogs, which are very full-on, very active dogs, very big. And they were charging around through all this undergrowth and steam nettles like a pair of lunatics trying to find rabbits and beating each other up. And husband and I are walking around. And husband says, so how do you do it when you're on these ghost hunts then? I said, well, people call out to the spirits to see if they can get a reaction. He said, what do, I, what do you mean they call out? So I said, well, you just say, is there, you know, is there anybody there? Are there any spirits here? Do you want to interact with us? Is there anything you want to say? And you listen to see if anything respond. I said, or you, you sort of tell them, you know, to come and join in and that it's okay. He said, I said, give it a go. So he said, all right then. So he stood there. Our two dogs are charging around like a pair of lunatics. And he says, if there's any children ghosts here that want to come and talk to us, please do come and talk to us. We're really happy if you come and talk to us. Or you can play with the dogs if you like. They're both friendly. And at that precise moment, our youngest dog, who was an utter lunatic, was only about two years old at the time, came bouncing out of the undergrowth he was playing in, about 100 yards away from us, so not reacting to us, sat down on the shorter bit of grass facing away from us and leaned up as if he was getting his head scratched by somebody. And me and my husband just went, and I'm fumbling for my camera trying to get pictures of it. Of course, I didn't get the camera out in time and he lost interest and ran off again. I was like, damn it, say it again, say it again, see if you can get it to do it again. So my husband says it again. And again, the dog comes bounding out, sits down again, again, nowhere near us and facing away from us. And again, leans up like he's getting fussed from somebody. And this time I've got my camera ready and I took loads and loads and loads of photos. Sadly, nothing but the dog showed up in the photos. But we still, we both felt that it looked like he was leaning up against somebody and getting his head scratched. Fantastic. So, yeah. 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 Great stuff. I have enjoyed this hour. It has blown by. And I was looking forward to this interview for quite a while. And thank you so much for coming on. It's been my absolute pleasure. It's been so nice to get to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. We would love to have you back, huh, guys. My producer. Anytime. Like, <laughs> back there. So what's next for you? Um, so I'm currently researching for book number seven, she says, quickly counting in her head how many books she's written. Okay. Um, 
And so that one will be These Haunted Times, Volume 3. Um, but I have a horrible feeling it's going to end up being two books at once and be Volumes 3 and 4 will come out simultaneously. Um, simply because I'm... I've already sort of the way I work is I put together a skeleton of it and the skeleton is already way oversized and I haven't even put the prose writing in yet. So it's like, ah, oh, mm, that might have to be two books at once. So <laughs> you might get a bonus this year, people. You might get two books out yeah. at once. <laughs> That's awesome. How can people Brilliant. find you? Um, so I'm on Twitter. Just look up Ruth Roper Wild. I'm on Facebook. Again, just look up Ruth Roper Wild. And my books are available on Amazon and other good bookstores. But you can buy them as ebooks or, or paperbacks. If you've got Kindle Unlimited, you can read them. for. And American bookstores can order them in for you if they go to the Amazon distribution list as well. Fantastic. Ruth, again, thank you so much. I'm going to get you back on at some point because I could talk for hours about this stuff. And me thank too. You. <laughs> thank you. Right. Well, you have a good rest of your evening. Bye okay? now. Okay, bye-bye. We'll do. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, that was real fun. I love interviews like this. I love talking, especially British ghosts and Scottish ghosts and all that stuff. That, that That's my thing, you know, outside of my thing here. All right, again, like I told you guys, tomorrow we're up in the air about who's going to be on or what's going to be on, whether I'm going to be reading or it's going to be a best of show. Like I said, I was gone for a week. Didn't have, you know, there was no time during that week while I was on vacation to book people. So we're, I'm in catch up mode. So you guys are just going to have to watch and see, watch and see what, what's going to happen tomorrow. But I want to thank you all for coming today. I really appreciate it. And uh, if you like what you saw, be sure to hit that like button, especially if you're watching from Facebook or you're watching from, from Twitter or you're watching from, from Twitch or even people that have come over from um, TikTok. That'd be great if you could hit that like button. Uh, if you're watching from YouTube, please hit that subscribe button if you haven't done so already. We've got more than 500 videos sitting over there, all different topics. So I think there's something for everybody over there that you'll like. In the meantime, I'm going to say goodbye. And I'm going to share uh, Ruth's information with you so that you can get a hold of her and find her books and stuff. And then I will see you one way or another tomorrow at 630, whether it's, you know, whether it's, a, like I said, whether I'm going to be reading, whether I have a guest, or whether it's going to be a best of show. So here we go. Let's uh, put the, let's put the cherry on top of this Sunday. So the website would be facebook.com forward slash Ruth Roper Wild. W-Y-L-D-E forward slash. And you've got the ghost of Marston Vale, These Haunted Times, Volume 2. The Almanac of British Ghosts. You've got These Haunted Times, Volume 1. It looks like I flashed them twice. Look at that. I'm losing my mind. Look, there they are again. I must have been half asleep. Okay. And you can get all of her books, including the new book and probably one that I missed because I'm an idiot, at Amazon.com or other book, book retailers. Okay. I will see you guys one way or another, you know, tomorrow. And uh, have, a good e have a good evening and have a great rest of your day.